Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Very nice to see you this morning. Welcome to Willow Park Church. If you're joining us online, uh, we are grateful that you've taken the time to join us online and to be with us. We're so blessed by that. And please uh, keep in contact with us. We love the fact that you've joined us and we love the fact that you are with us. So uh, praise the Lord for that. I want to just say a few uh, comments before we step into uh, our uh, message and our sermon this morning. First of all, I want to say thank you for praying for Arctic uh, Senior High Youth Retreat last weekend. Uh, I went down there and spent... um, uh, the weekend uh, there in uh, Grand Forks and uh, spoke to the teenagers uh, four times. I was, I, there's still a bit of the youth evangelist there in me. I was a bit nervous. I felt like a, a lion in a den of Daniels. And, uh, and I stood up and, and it all came back and it was wonderful. And I could say thank you for your prayers. At Willow One Prayer, our intercessors, Honestly, we couldn't have asked for a better time. It was remarkable, and it was fantastic to see the way that the Lord worked. It was absolutely brilliant to see on the the Saturday evening, uh, the presence of the Lord was very strong. The teenagers were engaging in the worship so much, and probably uh, over 70% of them responded to the call to follow Christ, to make him number one, that they've traveled through COVID, but they're not going to give up on Christ. And uh, it was great. People got saved. People got encouraged. The real point was afterwards, at the end, uh, Chris Baxter said, why disdain your small groups and pray together? And the vast majority of the teenagers stayed in groups with their care group leaders and prayed with one another. That was fantastic. Absolutely looked at that and loved that and saw that that was really, really the most wonderful, wonderful thing. So uh, we had a good time in Grand Forks. We, uh, we booked a hotel and I was really excited. I actually stayed in the hotel. I didn't stay at the Pines. Oh. And um, I had work to do, you understand. Um, so went, we went online and we booked a hotel. I thought, whoa, there's a lovely hotel here. Uh, I said, uh, at the Holiday Inn, and it's very, it's very nice, and it's just new, and it's, it's got lovely gym and lovely swimming pool and a massive hot tub. The rooms look amazing. Look at the breakfast. It's so awesome. So I book it. Yeah, so I said to Michelle, oh, it's good. Come, come to Grand Forks, to the Holiday Inn. Come and intercede for me. And so she's, she wasn't going to come, but she said, oh, I'll come with you. I said, yes. We get to Midway. I said, I don't know where this hotel is. Just pop it in the GPS. Popped it in the GPS. And it said, your destination is 19 hours and 36 minutes away. <laughs> Just so you know, uh, Grand Forks, Michigan, um, <laughs> has a really nice hotel. 
so, so that, was, that was fantastic. And, I, uh, and so we had to like, oh, well, can we get in there? So anyway, I'd like to report to you that the Grand Forks Inn Motel is there. Not the most exciting of venues I've been to, Bates Motel, but it was, it was good, so that, that gave us a chuckle, and it gave the youth department a chuckle, but let me say, uh, Jonah, Chris, Katrina did a brilliant job, and they worked so hard, and so thank you for those prayers. Um, on, a, on a sadder note uh, this week... Um, uh, Anne Rust went to be with the Lord. Uh, many of you uh, may know her. Uh, I spoke to her, her daughter, Linda, and she, um, she passed away into the Lord's presence. And it was uh, peaceful, beautiful, and God-honoring. So we honor that, and we thank God for that. Um, there is a gathering for those that knew her. She was a greeter. Uh, at uh, Springfield on the 15th of March at 1 p.m., a little reception and a room uh, where you can go. I know some of you were in groups, and I know some of you were um, involved in different activities with Anne. So if you'd like to be there, talk to Pastor Curtis, uh, and that would be great to have a group that would gather. And remember, she is having a Mill Creek service Maybe Wednesday, but that's closed to the general public. Uh, many of you also know that our brother Jim Clark went to be with the Lord. And, um, and uh, Jim was uh, uh, such a lovely, lovely fellow around this foyer and coming and visiting and always faithful, uh, tender. And so today, Anne and Jim, Jim uh, passed away some, a couple of weeks ago are in the presence of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and some of you might know uh, Myron uh, Sambad. Uh, Myron attended here. He attended more recently. And um, he came, uh, his wife Shirley, and he'd, he'd say hello to me at the front. I'd shake his hand. A very tall, nice, distinguished man. Uh, in, his, in his 80s and, and found salvation and became a Christian at Willow Park Church. So uh, that was good. And I, last week on uh, Monday, I was called to, um, a week last Monday, to the hospital. And um, he was uh, struggling with COVID. He was fighting a good fight and uh, went there. He was on ventilator. They had to mask up three times, uh, cover over, go into a sealed room because of the kind of ventilation. COVID was in the air, and he was there and uh, stood with him, and we prayed together, which was a beautiful time. And then he looked at me, and he said, uh, I didn't tick the box. And I was like, uh, Myron, what box are you talking about? I said, is it something medical? Can I help you? can talk to the staff here. No, I didn't tick the box on the welcome um, cards. I said, oh, well, it's all right. It's all right. Do you want to become a Christian? I'm already a Christian, he said. So I didn't tick the box. What box? He said, the box to be baptized. 
And so I said, oh. I said, it doesn't matter. I'll baptize you right now. And um, he, um, he, uh, we got a big jug of water, and I went Anglican, and uh, which, which Anabaptists are allowed to do this in these circumstances. I, uh, I spoke to the bishop, and um, and, and baptized uh, dear Myron. He was so full of joy. He was so happy. He was so blessed, and um, and that was on uh, on Valentine's Day. And I said to him, "Do you realise that you are being baptised on Valentine's Day?" And uh, he, he, he was he was so happy. Praise the Lord! And then he on Friday went to be with the Lord. So uh, you know, these are, we don't grieve as the unbeliever grieves. We grieve with hope. Because we know of our eternal deposit, our eternal salvation. But, um, but the Lord was there and our thoughts are with all of these families and, and other families that through this pandemic have experienced profound loss and, um, and pain. And we know that, um, that the Lord promises he will comfort us in times of, of pain and difficulty, won't he? So... Hallelujah. I'm really glad I'm a Christian at this moment in history, aren't you? It'd be, um, it'd be sort of terrifying if you weren't. And we need to pray for revival. Uh, last week, Pastor Jordan spoke on David and Goliath, and he honed in on uh, defeating the fears that are in our lives. And of course, this is a moment when David steps out and he, we know this, we, we know the story so well, it has become a cliche in our minds. But I've tried to explain to you uh, the theology of retribution, which is if you obey the Lord in this writing of 1 and 2 Samuel, that when you obey the Lord, it brings blessing it brings God's favor, it brings God's presence. And obedience is key to the Christian walk. And the area and the problem with Saul and his anointing being switched is because of his disobedience. He chose to be rebellious. And two weeks ago I spoke about this uncomfortable scripture that spoke about an evil spirit that is sent from the Lord descended upon Saul. This unhelpful spirit, this injury, this disaster, this turmoil, this problem came on him. Because if you look at the original Hebrew, it talks in terms of of, a, of an experience that comes. And we discussed about the issues of mental health. We discussed about the issues of the demonic. But what we do know is that Saul is in this mess because of his consistent disobedience against God. And disobedience 
creates so many problems within our spiritual walk and within our lives. Disobedience creates these difficulties. Disobedience creates these problems. And of course, uh, we have a privilege as Christians to make choices, to make right choices, to make good choices. And these choices are part of being human. And these choices, we can recognize and we can see that they have results. They have, if we make wrong choices, things happen. If we make right choices, other things happen. They have consequences within our walk and within our character, who we are. And what we're seeing is the great themes of First and Second Samuel is the consequences of going against God's will, God's way, and God's purposes. And if you see anything in the turmoil within the world in so many different areas, we realize that when we go against God's principles and we go against God's precepts, the consequences are grave because our God is a God that will judge our hearts and will judge our characters. And so we see the ongoing journey of David. And after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, his belt. And whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Notice verse 4. First of all, we realize that David and Jonathan have instantly created a very deep and profound friendship. And this friendship is one that is described in the most beautiful terms in Scripture. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And so what did he do? He offered him the robe. This is a profound moment and a powerful moment because in the ancient world, the robe represented your authority, your power, your anointing. It was a legal engagement that took place at that moment, a legal moment. He was saying, I am willing to acknowledge that the anointing of the Lord is on you. I am willing to take off my robe and I'm willing to share this robe and give you my robe to you. Now in the ancient world, there are a number of texts from different ancient cultures in this Near East region where they talk about the power of the robe. They talk about that if a prince wants to leave the king's house and goes with the rebellious queen, then that prince must take off his robe of his authority and go with his mother to that distant land. So the robe was seen as two or three 
uh, ancient texts from, 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 from Egypt and from Assyria and so forth that illustrate the power of the robe. Because when you wore the robe, you wore the authority. When you wore the robe, you were saying, I am a prince of the realm. I am anointed. I am chosen. And here there is such unity and such togetherness. That Jonathan is willing to share this because he recognizes God's anointing on David and he loves him. It is a friendship. It is a deep friendship. It is a powerful friendship. He loves him. There is unity and this unity is created by the divine. It's created by God. It's created by the power of God. And he's stepping back and he's saying, I see God at work and I see God's hand on you. I see God's spirit at work and you are my friend. Therefore, I'm willing to lay down my right because my right is to do the will of Yahweh. And to do the will of Yahweh is to see David to ascend to the throne and I honor you. Imagine the heart of Jonathan. He would rather see God's will done than anything. He'd rather see God's hands work than anything else. He'd rather hand over and share and give over his robe, his weapons, all that he possesses, his anointing, if you like, and say, you, you are the shepherd boy. You are the chosen one. And I now give you my robe of the realm. And I say to you, I will serve you in battle. I will be next to you. I am your brother. We are Friends together. We're not very good at sharing, are we? We're not very good at sharing. I don't know. Maybe you're awesome at it. I'm sometimes not very good at sharing. I'm not very good at sharing at those times when men go out together and they decide to have a platter of meat to share it together. I hate those moments. It's like, really? Oh, yeah, let's all share a big platter of meat. No, I want my own meat. Because I watch other men taking meat that they shouldn't be taking. I see that you've had that lamb chop. Well, I want that lamb chop, and you've had two lamb chops, and I've had none. Judgment be upon you. (laughs) What do you think you're doing? It's even worse when I go out with my wife sometimes. says, I don't feel very hungry. Shall we share? This is what they call a lose-lose moment. (laughs) Shall we share? Uh, Okay. But inside I'm saying, no, we will not share. No. She says, I'm not very hungry. No, all I want to do is eat my kebab. I just want to eat it. I just want to enjoy it. I just want to love it. And she said, I'll only have a bit. And then she has a bit of bread, okay, a bit of meat. And then she says, I'm, I'm more hungry than I thought. <laughs> I know. Next time, 
I am going to buy two of these. And every time you say, shall we share, I'm going to say no. Because, but that's a waste. I know it's a waste. But I don't care. (laughs) Even God agrees with me. We're not very good, are we? Because we want our rights. We want what's ours. We want... But here we see a level of friendship that's not built upon human right, but built upon heavenly relationship. And so often it's easy for us to step into that. It's so easy for us to become that way. And, and here we have a, a picture of good friendship. And we know it's a pattern of good friendship. And the one thing that we're not always very good in our modern culture at the moment doing is good friendship. Friendships have become strange. We know that there's a bad patterns. There are those friendships that draw us down into being, um, uh, leading us and being a bad influence on our lives. We know that there are certain people we hang out with that as we hang out with them, we become negative. Those friendships that are unequal, it feels. That the person comes and talks about themselves all the time but never inquires of you. And you, you know about that. There are friendships that can be suddenly become full of jealousy, full of injury, full of pain. And there are those friendships that suddenly feel like you're in a strange movie and your friend's gone really weird on you. You know, have you been there? My friend, it's gone weird. The story of uh, social network, uh, the story of, of Zuckerberg, the founder of... Um, of Facebook, you know, is all about, really, not just about Facebook, but about his betrayal of his best friends, his ruefulness, and his willingness to push them aside and to gain the kingdom of Facebook. And you look at this and you think, elitism, the country club thinking, when you have friends, but they have to look like you, they have to be like you, they have to act like you, that is Elitism, and elitism in friendship is rooted in pride. When you hang out with idiots, we become idiots. There were other words I could have used for that sentence. (laughs) But we know the negative power of friendship And yet what the scripture teaches us in Proverbs 17, verse 17, is that a friend always loves. And a brother is born for adversity. And I know that. Because, you know, brothers are a bit like that. You never speak to them for ages, but when you've got a major problem, out they come running. But a friend loves all the time. And there's that, that friendship and that love and that connection. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, Spur one another's on to do good deeds and to love one another. And you see, biblical friendship, as we see here, is about 
Loving all the time, forgiving, yes, but spurring one another on, building one another on to do good things and to be in love, to do good things. And we need that reality within church life. We need this reality when we stop getting frustrated over the kebab, when we stop getting angry because somebody's taking the pork chop. But what we look at each other, we look at each other and we love each other because friendship is the very, is a foundation of Christianity because Jesus Christ became friends with sinners. And when we understand this, we understand the power of friendship. You know, I was saying to the teenagers that there are times in friendship when you sit with another friend and you share life and you share story and you weep together and you talk and you share at such a deep level that it actually brings a unique healing. And I think David and Jonathan had this unique healing. I know that in some research that I've looked at, it talks about the power of narrative and that when human beings simply talk to each other on a deep level, on an honest level, and they talk about their fears, and they talk about their worries, and they talk about their anger, and they talk about their disappointments. Neuroscience has now shown us that actually that brings healing within the brain cells and changes the way that we think. And rather than always going down a negative path, we start to go a different path because we've spent that time sharing and confessing and talking and lingering and being with each other. And that is the beauty of Christian friendship is that it should be safe, is that it should be connected, is that we we are willing to sit and we are willing to share and to confess to one another and to talk to one another. And when we do that, believe me, all the research shows in the secular world, but I know it from the biblical truth, is that when we confess and when we share and when we are willing to open to one another in vulnerability and openness and honesty, God's healing power comes into a person's life. And I think we forget that. See, I see this all the time as a pastor. Somebody comes in into my office and sits down and they basically, and that's fine. And they talk. They talk. And they talk. Remember one elderly man son had a terrible accident. He couldn't ever get over that thought and came and sat and talked to me for about, I don't know, six, seven times about the regret and the pain and not knowing how to process and not knowing what to do. And, and we talked about the cross and did the cross mean anything and listened. Always tears at some point. And then one day, he, he wore a big cowboy hat. He looked at me and said, well, pastor, I don't know what you did, but I feel good now. And walked out of the office. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I actually, I didn't do anything. 
Because human beings are designed here with David and Jonathan to be able to trust one at each other, to have unity with each other, and to honor each other, and to bless each other. And we become very bad at being friends in life. Not all of us. I notice that our seniors are very good at this, a lot better. I bump into them, and they're laughing and chatting and talking over coffee. And I walk away and I think, you know, that is the, one of the most healthiest things a human being can do. To be with others. And to share. So with that in mind, let's revisit that for a moment. And see, and from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. What is Christian friendship and love about? Well, of course, it's about love. It's about kindness. And sometimes I think even as evangelicals, we forget to be kind because we're always trying to be right. We forget to love. We forget to forgive. We forget to show grace. And the juxtaposition of this is Saul, who is absolutely full of jealousy, absolutely full of anger, absolutely full of frustration. You see, what is Christ's picture? Christ's picture is that he served others. He took off his tunic. He got down on his floor. He washed the disciples' feet. He sacrificed for them. Remember, I was in a job interview and they said, what about friendship? What do you think of friendship? What was friendship all about? Do you have friends? Yeah, friends. Yeah, great friends. Have some great friendships. Have great friendships. Amazing. I said, but I heard somebody once say this, and it really resonated with me, and that was in a job interview. He said, when it comes to friendship, I've just learned that every person I meet in life, I treat as a friend. Because everybody Jesus met in life, he treated as a friend. He loved them. He welcomed them. He cared for them. And he was interested in them. And I believe with all my heart that one thing we lack in Christian community is the ability to find a safe place to share together, to pray together, to be honest. This is a particular problem emotionally with men. I put my hand up with this. Because we don't like talking about our emotions. I think, I think uh, 
I think Jonathan's pretty good at this. We don't like talking. We don't like admitting weakness. We don't like talking about it. But the truth is this. If men learn to talk to one another at a deep, non-superficial level, it's a game changer for the way you talk to your children and to your spouse. It's a game changer. Learning to talk, learning to linger, learning to be, learning to pray with each other, learning to check in with each other, learning to be curious about each other, learning to develop friendships with each other. I think of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and, and the other great writers and poets. They were great friends in Oxford and they used to go for long walks and Lewis wrote these words. He said, we go off over the Oxfordshire countryside and we ramble around. And we talk about the wonders and the mysteries of the world. We talk about books that we are writing. And then we talk about the wonders of God and the greatness of God and of life. And then we return back to a small pub. And there in front of a roaring fire, we continue the conversation. Sounds quite nice, doesn't it? What struck me about his writing, about his friendships, was that it was about the ability to spend time with others and to share deeply. And in life, we need that. And when the tyranny of the, of the pandemic is that loneliness literally kills us. And Jonathan took off his robe and he was wearing and gave it to David along with his chin and his sword, and his bow, and his bow. Let me land this sermon. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers well. Notice in the whole of chapter 18, which we can't do, we notice that whenever Saul moves against David to deal with him, to double-cross him to offer his daughter first in marriage and then renags and gives her to another man and then sends him into battle to kill people. But he is, he is more successful than he imagines because he thought David would be killed in battle. And then he says all of these things and, and is, is, is angry and full of jealousy and full of insecurity and full of, of bitterness because he does not have the spirit of God within him anymore. And yet David reverse that every time something's bad done against him, God blesses him and gives him success in this scripture. He says, go and get a hundred Philistines foreskins. That's a very interesting story there. It comes back with 200. He blesses him. He says, go and do this. He blesses him. Then his second daughter falls in love with David and blesses him. He said, go and do this. And then thinking he'll be killed trying to get this, this, um, this wedding gift. Unusual wedding gift. All of this stuff. But the great theological point is, is that when you have the spirit of God on you and you're wearing 
the presence of God on you, that when evil men throw spears at you and try and pin you against the wall, as happens in this story, God is with you and God does a reverse return. He turns what was evil towards you, he reverse returns it and sends it back and brings a blessing on David. But the root is in obedience. The root is in honoring God. The root and the success is on the reality that you always want God first in your life. That what man meant for evil, God turned for good. A reverse return. Life of Joseph, a reverse return. Pharaoh persecuting the children of Israel, by taking their babies away, in come the midwives, a reverse return. They save the babies, and they do a miracle. Then there are the plagues, and, they, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened, reverse return. God opens the Red Sea and sets his people free. And then you have Daniel taken into captivity, a reverse return. And what happens? He's been schooled in all of the astrology, all of the darkness, all the power of Babylon. And for 80 years, he raises to the top and becomes the most influential ruler, leader, civil servant in Babylon because God was with him. And then what about Jesus? They beat him. They humiliated him. They nailed him to a cross. But he was God's anointed one. And on the third day, he rose again. Reverse return. See, I don't want to be Saul in the story with jealousy, anger, bitterness, rage, and frustration. I want to confess those things out of my spirit. I want to bring them to the Lord. I want to name them for the useless things they are. I don't want havoc and unpleasant spirit around me. What I want is, Lord, let me have a pure heart. Let me wear the robe that God has placed on me. The whole chapter is about emotions, by the way. Saul's emotions, negative. His daughter's emotions. Jonathan's emotions. The people's emotions. And Saul became so twisted in his dark emotions that even when they sang, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. You can hear his mind, can't you? The narrator gives us the mind of Saul. But me, with only a thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? Fear is coming in. Pain is coming in. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. And the next day, an evil spirit from God 
came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in the house. That means he was kind of having a raging. The Hebrew is really interesting there. He was like having a raging uh, moment of like something. And while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did to settle him down, Saul had a spear in his hand and hurled it, saying to him, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. In the ancient world, there are many pictures of kings stood like this, throwing a spear. A spear in the ancient world represented your authority and your power. Very clever, this writing. But even the authority and power from Saul had so much departed that he was unable to really use his spear, his authority. Because his authority, the Lord's authority was on David. So can I fast forward for a moment? Two ways to be. We can live like Saul or we can live like David. But can I say to you now that there's another story that came to mind when I was praying about this. The prodigal of the lost son. Do you remember the father runs down the path and as he runs down the path he sees the, father, the son's walking up and he's saying, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired. And his father, I've sinned and then he sees him running towards him and his dad's running down the path and I imagine it in my mind. His dad's running, his long beard flapping in the wind. He grabs him, he hugs him, he kisses him. He hugs him and then he says, what does he say? Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Jonathan handed over his anointing, his authority, his willingness to serve and gave it to David. You and I, our prodigal children who have come back to the Father. And the Lord has put a robe of God's authority on you. Oh, that was good. <laughs> He's put it on you. I think you get that. That out of your pain and out of your brokenness, He has put a robe on you. And today our job is to live, yeah, is to live as friends with God, friends with each other, and to be obedient to the work of God in our lives. Let's stand together. Father, I pray. Lord, even as we take our bread and our wine, 
we remember the reverse return. That evil humanity and the sinfulness of man was placed on you. But you reversed it. And what seemed like defeat became victory. Your body broken seemed like defeat but became victory. And so Lord, we take the bread and we thank you that we've got friendship with God. And that if anybody tries and the enemy pins us against the wall, we thank you that we have a robe of your forgiveness, a robe of your grace, a robe of your authority upon us in Jesus' name. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, eat it in remembrance of him. We thank you, Lord, that all the attributes of Saul, his jealousy, his insecurity, his anger, his inner turmoil, that you have freed us from all of those things and much, much more through the blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world.